we have a tradition around here. We say, I say, he is risen, and you say, yeah, he is risen. And then you, sorry, we're a little off on that tradition. Anyway, you know, it is, it's, a, it's a favorite of mine. I, I, heard, I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 14 and came into church, but I was unfamiliar with the tradition. And, uh, but now, it is one of the most, one, along with every, every Easter, this is my Easter tradition. I love the he is risen, he is risen indeed. But I also listen to Keith Green on Christmas, on Christmas, on Easter, the Easter songs. Anybody with me? I'm totally alone. Thank you, Ruthie. We'll, we'll listen later on together. Um, but it's a favorite that he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's so confident, it's so triumphant, it's so sure. I think one thing that stood out to me as Allie was reading our passage from Luke is that that was not the sentiment on the first Easter morning. Did you catch it when she was reading that the women go back and they tell the apostles and they're like, oh, you're making stuff up. You know, it's like, it's like she goes back and she says, he is risen, and they're like, what? Like that's the, tr- that's the earliest Jesus tradition about the, about the resurrection, is that there's doubt. There's skepticism. And I think, as, as a matter of fact, when we, when we think about this, when we think about uh, the, the apostles say it's an idle tale and they don't believe what the women tell them. And what I think one of the things about the Bible, and, and even on Easter morning as we come together, triumphant and sure, and there's certainly faith that is part of our community, and this is, we come together to celebrate the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus on Friday, the resurrection, but sometimes we forget that this is interesting news in our world. This is not believable news in a lot of ways, and sometimes we forget that the earliest followers of Jesus, for all our confidence today in Jesus and in the gospel, that the earliest followers of Jesus were not unfamiliar with doubt, with skepticism. They hear the news and they're like, meh, really? It's weird. We come together today and we're like, yes, but the earliest followers of Jesus, when they heard this, they were like, what are you talking about? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. For in, if I was writing this, if I was writing the story, if I, was, if I was Luke and I was writing the story, which is what Allie read from, I think I would have painted myself in a better light. Like, I would have painted myself confident, sure, like, yes, he said he was going to do it, and he did it. They're like, they can't even remember. Angels have to tell the women, hey, remember what he said? He said he was going to do this. And I think this is one of the things as we come together today, we come to celebrate, but we also remember that this story is foreign to the ears of people outside these walls. That the first Easter happens over and over and over again. And that as much as we come, we come confidently, and that's something that we, we love to do, and I love to do that. But the earliest followers of Jesus were not just open to admitting their doubts. They actually made sure that they wrote them down. And with this, they stood in a long line in the Psalms. How many of the Psalms say, how long, O Lord? Or where are you, Lord? Or why, O Lord? And they stand in this great tradition of not not hiding their doubts, but actually putting them out, knowing that God is powerful enough to deal even with our doubts. Even Jesus himself on the cross quotes a psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I don't know of any other faith tradition that is that open about doubt. And some of you are here because you're like, look, I put my faith in Jesus and I love Jesus and I'm here because I want to celebrate Jesus. Some of you are here because you're making someone else happy. Right? I'm not going to take a show of hands. I'm not going to take a show of hands. But some people are here just because you're making someone else happy. And you're like, look, I'm, I, I don't know what I think about this. And I'm just here to say, like, you're in good company. The earliest followers of Jesus, when the women came and they said, he's risen, like, he is risen. What? Like, it's not he is risen indeed. It's what, huh? I don't understand. And in all of the Gospels, in all of the Gospels, the empty tomb, the fact that the, the tomb they put Jesus in is empty, it is not self-interpreting. It's not like people walk by the empty tomb and they're like, oh, Jesus must have risen from the dead. They walk by the empty tomb and they're like, well, someone must have stole the body. Or they walk by the empty tomb and they're like, hey, are you sure we're in the right place? Like, it's not, it's not self-interpreting. That Jesus' body's not there, but there's no, there's no obvious answer to that. And the women who are first on the scene, they have to be reminded of what Jesus had said. And sometimes, sometimes we as a church, the home team, we talked about the home team, right? Settled on this truth, we can wonder why other people are skeptical, but we forget that even our own, our forefathers, our foremothers in the faith, they asked questions and they wondered. And here's the deal. As we've been going through Ephesians, we've been going through Ephesians, if, you, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and one of the things that we note in the book of Ephesians, as the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians, when we look at the empty tomb and we, we hear this message, Jesus is risen from the dead, yes, we believe, but we also understand that we are in a world that is meant and trying actively to blind our eyes. That we are in a world, we we talked about this world is this interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God powers. Is anybody on, on board with me on this one? Like the world we live in is actively, and in some ways is anti-human and anti-God. And that it's not just one, it's not just a person or anything, it's, it's like a whole umbrella that we're in a fallen world, like the whole cosmos is winding down. It's like the third law of thermodynamics, right? Or is that the second law? I don't know what it is. I'm not a physicist. But everything's winding down. Our sun is, is, is get, well, it's going to get bigger before it gets smaller. Anyway, you guys, I should just move on to something I know here. But the idea is that we're in a world that's deteriorating. It's corrupted. We're in a world where viruses emerge out of nature, or laboratories, and kill, and, and break down human beings. You think of AIDS or coronavirus. These are, these are things that are coming out of nature that, that attack humans. We live in a world that is looking for death. But it's not just this, this world, and even this world of anxiety or depression, it's not just that, but it's not just an overarching corruption that there are actually, the Bible says that there are actually spiritual forces that are working against you, that there are spiritual forces that are actively working for your downfall. The Bible talks about a devil or Satan, and these powers, these powers in this world, they seize upon our weak moments, and they whisper things in our ears that are anti-human and anti-God. 
I think one of the horrible things about the dark forces of this world, the dark spiritual forces, is how in our lives when we go through trauma, that dark forces will seize upon those moments to bind us and get their hooks in us and get us to believe things about us that are not true, to get us to believe things about God that are not true. That's the world we live in. And if it's not enough that we have a corrupted cosmos and we have personal devils and demons, that there are humans and human rulers. In in the book of Ephesians, it talks about the sons of disobedience. Rulers of this world muster forces and invade countries. They drop bombs. They take advantage of the weak. Political parties spin information to their advantage on both sides of the aisle to preserve their power. Corporations skirt rules for profit. Media will post only inflammatory things to pit you against your neighbor. This is the world we live in. And if it's not bad enough, if that's not bad enough, look inside our own selves. My own dark thoughts in dark moments. Like, I'm not immune to this. That I've wronged other people, you've wronged other people, we've contributed to this directorate, this web. You know, at best in our world, as we hear about the cross, as we hear about the empty tomb, at best, we're distracted. At worst, we're deceived. We live in a world that when we hear Jesus is risen, we are living in a world that's actively moving us to try to think, eh, really? And we're in a situation where the world is veiling our eyes. And the question this Easter is, how do we go from the very first proclamation he has risen to what? To 2,000 years later, we gather hundreds of people together and everybody in unison is he has risen indeed. Like how do we go from that kind of doubt to that kind of confidence? How do we do that? And the answer is this. It's one thing. The answer is this. Jesus meets people. Jesus meets people. All of these people, all of the apostles, who when they hear the gospel, they're like, what? Like, that's an idle tale. Like, what are these women saying? The only reason they change is because Jesus comes and meets them. How how do we go from what to he is risen indeed? Jesus not, not only comes from heaven to earth, but Jesus goes from the tomb out. And he goes to find his people. You think about in, the, in what Ali read in, in Luke chapter 23, the two disi- right after that you have these two disciples that are despondent because Jesus has died. They've been following him as his career on earth and Jesus has died. He's been put to death. He's been crushed. He's been clearly overwhelmed by the Roman political system. Clearly over- overwhelmed. And they're walking down to this town of Emmaus and they're, and they're just kind of, they're lamenting this. And all of a sudden, this guy comes walking alongside them. They don't know if it's Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, what's wrong? And, he, and he, so he starts talking to them. They don't even realize it's him until they get to where they're going. And he reveals himself to them. And what happens? 180, and they believe. Why? Because Jesus came and met them. Mary Magdalene, I love in the Gospel of John, when Mary Magdalene is despondent at the tomb, she's like, she's like where have they hid him? Where? And they go, she finds this guy, she thinks it's the gardener. She thinks it's the gardener. 
She's all, where have they taken him? And it, she doesn't know, but it's Jesus. And he says, Mary, don't cry. And she looks up, she realizes it's him. She thinks it's the gardener, but Jesus meets her. Thomas says, I won't believe unless I put my fingers in his hands and, his, and my hand in his side. I won't believe. What does Jesus do? Thomas, I'm coming to you. I need to meet you, Thomas. I need to meet you. Why do we go from, I don't, like, Jesus is risen, to what? To Jesus is risen, he is risen indeed, because Jesus meets people. The apostle Paul will tell you he met him, maybe not the most pleasant experience, but he met him in an unlikely place. And how do you go from this is an idle tale, these women are crazy, I just can't believe it, it's because of Jesus. Jesus continues to meet. Now, here's the deal. This is the thing. I think as, as someone who's been a believer for a while, and some of you guys have been, you, you believed in Jesus since you were wee little, little lads and lasses, right? You, you, believe, you believe in Jesus as long as you can remember. Some, some of us came to faith later in life. Maybe you came to faith like I was a teenager. Maybe you came to faith as an adult, and you can remember when you met Jesus. But one of the things that sometimes we forget is that Jesus will show up, and he will meet unlikely people. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and if you want to turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, we're just going to look at a couple passages. Ephesians chapter 2. There's this great line in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, this idea that Jesus is going to meet people. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking to unlikely people, and he says this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then in 2.13 he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, some of you are here and you're like, look, I love Jesus. I, I, I've d- d- I've dedicated my life to serving him. I love Jesus. Easter is awesome. Some of you are here because you're like, this is what people are supposed to do on Easter. Whatever you're here, whatever you're here, you need to hear this. Jesus did not just come for those who are near. I think sometimes we think Jesus came for church people. Like if you come to church, Jesus came for you. But Jesus doesn't think that. You look at the people that Jesus gathered around him, they were not church people. They were the dropouts, the flunkies. They didn't make rabbi, they went fishermen. Right? They couldn't cut the mustard. And so Jesus says, no, 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 you're the ones that I want. Jesus is constantly going off, not those who are near or near to God, but those who are far off. Separated, alienated, strangers. We talked about Jesus comes for the visiting team, not for the home team. If you're here at church and you're like, I love this, I love these songs, I know all the words, look, you're the home team. If, you're, if you feel comfortable here, you feel comfortable in church, you're part of the home team. If you're here and you're like, I don't know anything that we just sang, and I don't totally feel comfortable here, like I like pancakes, that's awesome, but maybe not everything, like you're on the visiting team. You know, this isn't your home turf, but I got news for you. Jesus did not come just for the home team. 
Jesus came particularly for the visiting team. You guys ever been to a sporting event where you've been a visiting team? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's not fun. They don't leave you enough room to sit. Every time you cheer, they like boo you down. Like whatever you have to say, you get shouted down. Like your voice is not carry. And sometimes I think when we come in here, we forget that there are people who have real questions and real doubts just like the earliest followers of Jesus did. And it's not simply a time and a place for us to shout down the visitors. Jesus came for the visiting team. And so if you're here and you're like, I do feel like a stranger. I feel like this is not for me. Look, this is exactly the sort of, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to meet people. Jesus is not just here for the home team. In Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. The message of Jesus is not just for the insiders, the guys who went to seminary. That's not who, that's not all, only who Jesus came for. I, certainly, I want Jesus to come for me, right? But Jesus came not just for those who feel at home here, but for those who feel like they don't belong here. The truth is, Jesus is coming to meet you. I think sometimes the church has kind of lost its way on this. And the church sometimes embraces power and has a stance against the outsiders embraces human fame and makes faith something for the insiders only. And there's plenty of examples of churches and pastors who have not followed the way of Jesus and have inadvertently taken their spot in the interlocking directorate of the powers against. The church has done that sometimes. And the truth is Jesus is coming and he's not looking just for insiders. He's looking for everybody. It says in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He's coming and he wants to meet you because he is rich in mercy. Because he's not just come for the home team, he's come for the visiting team. He's not just come for the insiders, he's come for those who feel like they're on the outside. God is rich in mercy. And when does he do this? Even when we are dead. The book of Romans says, while we are still weak, while we are enemies, while we are sinners, that is when Jesus goes out to meet. Even when we are cynics even when we're frozen in shame, even when we're ensnared, contributing to the breakdown of this world, because there are times, there are times where I have contributed to the breakdown of this world. But Jesus has still come. Jesus is faithful, even in our doubts, especially in our doubts. Now, how do we go from doubt to conviction? How do we go from he is risen what to he is risen, he is risen indeed? How do we do that? What is the pathway? In Ephesians 1.18, the Apostle Paul prays for one, for something for these people, and that is this, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. 
that we live in a world that is actively working against the truth of who God is and what Jesus has done, and just simply this, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that Paul prays, Jesus, would you enlighten their eyes of their heart? I think one of the things about going to faith. The, the other thing is that he says, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's, it's a gift of God. And this idea that what do we do when we hear the message of the gospel, even if I feel like an outsider, and, and Jesus comes to me, what's my response to him? And basically what the Bible says is a response to Jesus is simply a response of faith, turning toward him and trusting him. Trusting him and entrusting your life to him. That is faith. And what the Bible implies is that sometimes we're not looking at Jesus. We're not looking for him. We're not looking in the right place. We're looking off in other directions. But Jesus says, hey, here I am. And what we do is we just turn. We turn. Maybe we're distracted in this world. And if you're here and you're living a life and you just feel like you're distracted, maybe even just deceived, and maybe even this morning it's like, hey, the light has gone on, and this is what God does. God will walk into someone's life. Jesus will meet somebody, and he'll just walk in and flip the switch on. I hear stories like this from people all the time, not just about meeting him, but meeting other people. God will walk in and God will say, it's time to see. You have, you've been blinded. And we're going to flip the switch on, and now I just want you to face me. I want you to face me, and I want you to trust me. And that's what we call faith. It's nothing more than simply saying, Jesus, I'm looking at you. You are my king. I trust you, and I'm going to entrust my life to you. That's it. I think one final thing as we wrap this up is simply this idea that when we come, I love that we, we looked at these, or we, I talked about these examples about men and women who, when Jesus came to them, they didn't recognize who he was. Like Mary Magdalene, she thought he was the gardener. I've, I never drive by a landscaper now. Some guy with a blower, he's walking around blowing, I'm like, that could be Jesus. <laughs> right? Because even the, the earliest followers of Jesus who followed him, when he meets with them, they're like, he's unexpected. He's not what I was expecting. And I think if you're here this morning, you're like, look, I came, I came and I was like, I was looking for the stock message on, on Easter, but this pastor got up and he talked about doubt. Like, what the heck is this all about? Like, that's not what we were expecting. Like, Jesus will come in an unexpected way, in an unexpected path. And one of the things you might recognize is that like the two guys on the road to Emmaus, he's been walking with me all along. And I didn't even know it. And he's been faithful to me. And I didn't even know it. And yet at this moment, he chose to flip the light on. And if you're here this morning and that's you, and look, I, one of the awesome things about faith in Jesus is you've got a story to tell about when that light flipped on for you. It's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith is that you could walk up to anybody who claims faith in Jesus and they'll tell you the story about how God flipped the light on for them. They might not use that term, but they'll have a story. We call it a testimony. They will talk about how Jesus met them. And if that's you this morning and that light has flipped on, you now have this, 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 this place, these people, this is part of your story. Jesus might not have been what you expected but he certainly wants to meet you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. This plan is not the way we would have done it, Father. 
but we're so grateful that you have done it this way. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for volunteering. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for being human like we are. Thank you for experiencing our pains, our doubts, for showing us what true humanity is. Jesus, we pray that you would meet us. Jesus, I'm sure that there are people in this room that either need to meet you for the first time, and if that's this morning, Father, if that's this morning, Jesus, that you would meet them in a special way this morning. And that they would simply express to you in an honest conversation with you that they want to entrust their life to you. That's faith. And Jesus, maybe there are people here, and you know, that they need a fresh meeting with you. Just a fresh meeting. Jesus, would you visit them? Whether it's this morning or sometime this week, would you visit them in a way that is unmistakably you? Because, Jesus, you're not dead. You are alive. You are alive, and you have, a, you have an opinion about what's going on in this world. And we pray, Jesus, that our sensibilities, that your sensibilities would become our sensibilities in this world. That we might become more like you. We love you, and we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.